Look with us. We're in John chapter 6. Got down verse 26, 27. Uh, last time, that's where we'd like to pick up if we can. Um, Jesus has fed the multitude in the beginning of this chapter. And He sent the disciples across the sea. They got into that great wind. We saw Jesus walk to them on the water. He entered into the boat. The storm ceased and the ship was immediately at the other side. The multitude that ate of the fishes and loaves, they woke up the next morning. They couldn't figure out where the Lord went and they were looking for Him. And they decided to take shipping and go to where the disciples were going. And they got there, they found Jesus... If we look on down in this text, you'll see that they find him at the temple, the synagogue in Capernaum, and he's there teaching. They say, Lord, how did you come here? Um, they, They didn't know how that the Lord had got to this place. And the Lord does not answer their question, but he says, you seek me because you ate of the fishes and loaves. You're seeking for that to... Feel your flesh. And in verse 27, Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. So labor not for that which is temporary. I believe you could say it that way. And everything in this world is temporary. And you think about the way the world is structured and the way the the desire and the will of the flesh is. Without the God's truth, without God's intervention, every minute of man's life in this world will be spent for that which perisheth. And when he dies, he goes just like he was born. We read that in Job last time. Naked he came out of the womb. Naked shall he return. Now you think about the babe. The babe that's born has never done anything, does not have anything of itself, has no credit, no glory to itself. And though man in his mind thinks differently, the Scripture says man that labors for that which perisheth in this world, he's going to go out just like that. All of his works are going to perish with him. He's going to lose everything that he's got. So Jesus says, don't focus on that which is natural. We know Jesus came for a spiritual need. But seek after that which endureth unto everlasting life. In Proverbs chapter 4, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. Again, Proverbs 23 Buy the truth and sell it not. Also wisdom and instruction and understanding. So in Proverbs, and we know Proverbs, the book of wisdom, he says wisdom is what we ought to seek after. That ought to be what our efforts are put towards. And Jesus is saying the same here. What is this meat that endureth to everlasting life? Well, he's going to explain that in just a minute. But it's the Lord Jesus Christ. He is that which endures to everlasting life. He's the only means 
that man can have eternal life. He's the only means that man is going to escape the judgment. He's the only means that man's sins are going to be put away. There's no other meat. There's no other place to look. There's nothing else that man can have that'll save his soul except for the Lord Jesus Christ. So what should man do? Man should labor after that. That does not mean that man works for it. Because he says in this verse that the Son of Man shall give. That word, it's gratuitous. It's a gift. It's not earned. It's given. So what, what instruction do I take out of this? Well, wouldn't you say this to be true? That a world that is lost, they ought to be at the house of God under the preaching of the gospel. Under the teaching of the Word of God, they ought to come to revival and hear the preaching of the gospel. Wouldn't hurt them to read some in the Bible. Now I realize that they're blind of their self, but boy, we could put some effort into it, couldn't we? Ain't it something how, how darkened man is to the truth? Could man try? He could. Is he going to? Did you? Don't lie. You didn't. But that doesn't take away my responsibility. I ought to be at the house of God. I ought to be under the teaching and preaching of the gospel. Labor for that which endureth, which the Son of Man shall give. In Romans 3 verse 28, if there was any question as to whether Jesus is saying we get it by our works. Therefore we conclude, Romans 3 verse 28, we conclude that a man is justified by faith, without, separate from, apart from the deeds of the law. So what is it then that we're laboring for? For wisdom. We're seeking the Lord Jesus Christ. He's our only hope. We can attain to this salvation. Hebrews 4.11 Let us therefore labor to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. You know what the children of Israel did? They followed Moses. They followed the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire in the wilderness. They went through the Red Sea. They ate manna. They drank from the rock. And they all died in unbelief. So the Hebrew writer is saying... Take care, pay attention, beware, unless you fall after that same example of unbelief. So it's given by the Son of Man, for Him hath God the Father sealed. He's the one that God the Father has approved of. You think of a seal today, a lot of times it's a seal of approval. And the Lord Jesus is the only one that the Father has sealed, put His stamp of approval on, as approved for the salvation of mankind. In Acts chapter 17, Because He hath appointed a day in which He will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom He hath ordained, whereof He hath given assurance unto all men, and that He raised Him from the dead. Romans 1.4 and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Is there any other 
that's raised their self from the dead by the power and Spirit of God. Everyone else has been gotten up by someone else's power. This man was gotten up by his own power. And there is the seal of God's approval. This man was perfect. He was without sin. His sacrifice was acceptable. And God stamped it and approved it by the resurrection from the dead. That resurrection is my assurance that Jesus is the sufficient and acceptable sacrifice that I can be saved by. Now if I'm trusting any other Savior or any other means, then I'm trusting in something that is not approved. And if God hasn't approved it, then what really have you got? Really, what have you got? So then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? So there's the question then. Okay, well, what can we do? They've said, how did you come here? You've sought me for the fishes and loaves. Don't labor for that which is temporary, but labor for that which endures. And so their question is then, then what do we do? Ain't that what man always says? What what can I do then to earn this? What work is there for me to do? In Acts chapter 8 verse 31, it's not that that's a bad attitude to have. Here's Philip. And he said, How can I accept some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. So here is the eunuch, the Ethiopian eunuch. He's been, he's got scripture, he's reading. The Holy Spirit has brought Philip to this man. And the Holy Spirit is working in the, the eunuch's mind as well. Because he's looking at this scripture and saying, I don't understand this. And so the Holy Ghost brings Philip to instruct, to open the scriptures to him. And that's what the Lord's going to do here. Man needs help. Is that not true? Man's thinking is wrong. And in Acts 16, the Philippian jailer here, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So there is, by the working and conviction of God, there's a desire to come to God. There's also, by the thinking and reasoning of the flesh, a desire to do it herself. Now one is right and one is not. And here, these folks are seeking after what work can we do. And Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that you believe on Him whom He hath sent. How much good do you need to do? How much church do you need to attend? How righteous do you have to be? Tell me, by the Scripture, what's the work that you've got to do? This is the work that you believe to have faith in, to entrust, to credit, to look to the one that the Father sent, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the work. You want to know how that people are saved. It's not by work. 
You might say, well, you come to an altar, you admit, you believe, you commit, and then you get up and you testify of that, and then you go to the, uh, to the creek and you be baptized, and you know you can do every bit of that, and you can do it over and over and over again for the rest of your life and never be saved. This is the work that your faith is in the Son of God, that you're persuaded, convinced that Jesus is the Son of God. That's the work of salvation. Galatians 2 verse 16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Well, I made that profession and I've I've done good ever since. Doing good has nothing to do with being saved. Being saved is solely faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. Faith and faith alone. Another scripture, Philippians 3.3 We are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. So the Jew, he's comparing the Christian church and the Jewish religion. When we come together in the Christian church, we worship God in the Spirit, not with what we've done. Our trust and our hope is only in Jesus Christ and not in what we are. And we have zero confidence in our flesh. It's not of me. You know what the religious crowd are doing? They're trusting in who they were born from. They're trusting in what they've done. And all of that equals trust in me. I'm worshiping God with what I've done. Scripture tells us that you've never done anything good. There is no good. There's none that doeth righteousness. There's none that seeketh after good. There's not one good. No, not one. So that's what you're going to offer to God. That's not going to be accepted. If you're saved, you're saved by the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ and that alone. And you got that not because of your power, not because of your intellect, not because of your raising, not because of your righteousness. You received that faith as a gift, unearned, unwarranted, unmerited, as a gift from God to you through the preaching of the gospel. It's the truth. This is not hard doctrine. But boy, man... Religious man, we'll say. Religious man don't like it. Man needs something that he's done. What's my work to do? So this is what they say then. Believe. They said therefore unto him, What sign shewest thou then that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? Now, we could go back and review what the Lord's already done. And John, we've said it several times, John's not following a 
chronological, every detail biography here. John's hitting the high points that the Holy Spirit impresses. And he says as much at the end. If every work was to be written, the world couldn't contain the books. I've written that that you might believe. But wouldn't you say that just what we've saw the Lord Jesus do, the water and the wine, the healing of the nobleman's son, the walking on the water, the feeding of the 5,000 with five loaves and two fishes, would that not be enough to say, wait a minute, there's something here? At least to say, this man is something from God. But you know what they're saying? What sign do you shew us? Now, Jesus is going to get into it in just a minute. But you know what they're looking for? Remember Moses in the wilderness. As the children of Israel were wandering in the wilderness, what did they eat? They eat manna. God gave them bread. And so here, the Lord Jesus has fed the multitude. He's given bread. And so here's what they're saying. If we're going to believe in you then, what are you going to do for us to prove it to us? Why should I believe in you? So listen to a couple scriptures in John chapter 2. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, What sign shewest thou unto us, seeing thou doest these things? Now here they said it because he cleansed the temple. Remember he run out the money changers. He said, You've made my father's house a den of thieves. You've turned it into a for-profit emporium, market, instead of a place that God is solemnly and soberly worshipped. And they said, if you're going to do this, what sign do you have to prove your authority? You know what the law has? If he's undercover, he's got a badge. So that when he pulls you over, you may not see his uniform, but he's got a badge, a sign that shows his authority, his position. Well, that's what they're asking for here. Who are you to come into the temple and do this? And that's what these people are asking Show us your badge, some evidence of who you are. So in Job, chapter number 1, Satan answers the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast thou made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. So Satan says, Look, God, this is why Job is serving you. It's because you've protected him and you've given him all this stuff. He's serving you for profit. But if I touch what he's got and take it away, then he'll curse you to your face. It was a service for profit. Now we know that wasn't true of Job, but that's what the devil accused Job and the Lord of. And in Exodus, now here's Pharaoh, Pharaoh the head of the most powerful country in the world. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey His voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. I don't know who the Lord is, and He doesn't have any authority over me. Why should I serve Him? Now that's what the people are saying to the Lord. 
you better have some kind of evidence that you are who you say that you are. What sign do you show me that I should believe you? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. What sign do you show because Moses gave bread to the people? And if you're going to be the prophet, remember that's one of the titles in Deuteronomy. Moses says there's coming a prophet like me. So when you read here that he's that prophet, it's the prophet like unto Moses. Moses gave us bread. Don't it make sense that if you're going to be like him, that you shouldn't give us bread also? You should be a provider like Moses was. And forgetting this, but now our soul is dried away. There is nothing at all besides this manna before our eyes. That's what the people said of the manna after they wandered in the wilderness for a while. It's never good enough. And the Lord Jesus, He says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Where did that bread come from? See, I think it's, it's missing on a lot of folks a lot of times. The Lord says, Moses didn't give you that bread. That was not Moses' doing. That wasn't Moses' work. That wasn't Moses' miracle. But it was the Father that gave them that bread in the wilderness. How often does God's glory get put and credited to some man? I, that's... That's as unrighteous. No, if there's bread from heaven, God gave it. Man didn't bring it. If there's real, and I mean real spiritual, and there ought to be some discernment right there, a real spiritual revival brought, it's not man that brings that. It's the Father which is in heaven. Who, who ought to be glorified in all things? Every good and every perfect gift cometh down. Not from man. Not from Moses. Verily I say unto you, Moses did not give you that bread. It's from the Father. But my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. So God gave the manna, and now God's giving the true bread. So does that mean that Moses didn't give bread? He did. From God came the manna, but the manna was not the true bread. And listen, let's look at a place or two. 1 Corinthians 10 Moreover, brethren, I would not have you be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and passed through the sea and were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. 
So the rock that they drank of, if you're familiar with Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, when they're in the wilderness wandering, they're thirsty, Moses smites a rock. Water comes from the rock, they drink of that. They come again a second time to a rock. God says to speak to the rock this time, but Moses smites it again, water comes from the rock and they drink. Was that rock Jesus? Now, be careful how you answer that. That was a real rock, wasn't it? That was not Jesus. But it was Jesus. In type and in shadow. That was a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. The rock that followed them through the wilderness. And that's what the manna is also. The manna was a picture a type and a shadow of the true bread that's going to come down from heaven. If it's a picture, if it's a parable, then there will be a fulfillment of that. The Lord Jesus is the true bread. In Hebrews chapter 9, now listen to these verses. I believe you can see it plainly here. Here he's speaking of the tabernacle. In the wilderness, Moses built the tabernacle. That's where the worship took place where the Ark of the Covenant was in the holiest of holies. And the Holy Ghost this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest as yet the first tabernacle was standing. Which was a figure. It was a picture. It was a parable. It was a a type, a shadow for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the surface perfect as pertaining to the conscience. In verse 10, Hebrews 9 verse 10, this was imposed upon them until the time of reformation. So this type and shadow, it was put in place for a time until the place of reformation, until it was fulfilled. Now, in Jesus Christ, He was the tabernacle as well. He is that that enables God to dwell with man. There was no need for any more sacrifices. Jesus was the sacrifice. He fulfilled it. And so He's doing the same with the picture of manna. For the bread of God is He which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. So Matthew 26, verse 26. As they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body. In 1 Corinthians 11, Take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. So in the wilderness, the people were going to starve to death. They had no food. And God provides manna from heaven that the people gather and they eat and that's how they lived as they marched through the wilderness. They didn't work for it. They didn't earn it. They didn't raise it. They didn't water it. They didn't fertilize it. They didn't harvest it. It came down from heaven and all they did was gather it. They lived by it. Manna was a gift from God. You say, well, they earned it. All they did is murmur and whine and complain and die in unbelief. So in the picture then, you see the Lord Jesus Christ. 
the spiritual bread that's come down from heaven. He's came down as a gift, unearned, unmerited, and unwarranted. His body is the bread that's going to be given. His life is going to be given. His body is going to be beaten. He's going to endure great suffering and He's going to give His life that through Him you and I could have life. He's our substitute in the wrath of God. And by taking His sacrifice in, you and I live not naturally, but the spiritual eternal life through the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the true bread. And they say, Lord, they say unto Him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. They're interested, but they're ignorant. We saw this several times. You remember the woman at the well? He's speaking of living water, and she thinks it's still down in the well. That's not what Jesus was talking about. You remember Nicodemus? You must be born again. He's thinking his mother's womb. That's not what Jesus was talking about. Here he's talking about bread from heaven. He's talking about himself. And they say, give us a bite of this bread. Now the Lord here is going to, he's going to reveal what he's talking about. This is verse 35 of John chapter 6. He said, Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. So Jesus plainly says, I am the bread of life. If you're going to live spiritually, it's going to be through the sacrifice that I'm going to make of my body. His body is the bread that the church lives on. Just like manna was the bread that the children of Israel lived on. Given from God a gift, unmerited, unearned, unwarranted. So in Isaiah 55 now, you can see how this ties back with uh, what we covered earlier, the meat which endureth to everlasting life. Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread, and you labor for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me, and eat that which is good. Let your soul delight itself in fatness. Incline your ear and come unto me here, and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. So what's he saying? Why are you laboring for that which cannot save your soul? Now, if in the type and shadow, if you see somebody, here's the Lord Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of all of the ceremonial law and the prophets and the salvation of man, what good would it do then after the Lord Jesus to continue to offer lambs and rams and oxen to God for sins? 
the, the fulfillment of that type has, has already come. To continue in that is to reject the true bread. Well, to, to trust in yourself is to reject the true bread. You're laboring. You're seeking for that that can never fill you up, can never bring life. The Lord Jesus is the bread of life. And it's by believing, never hunger and never thirst. So the salvation that the Lord Jesus brings is not one that needs to be touched up. It's not one that needs work down the road. It's not, well, you eat a little now until you do something and then you'll have to eat a little more later. This is a once for all. That's right. One time for all time. An eternal salvation. Everlasting life. Complete. Complete and finished. Not in what I add to it. That's got nothing to do with my salvation. It's all in the completed and the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing else is added for me to be saved. It's all in Him. And so, I said unto you that ye have seen me and believe not. What are we going to do with this now? Listen to this in 540. We've already covered this. John chapter 5 verse 40. And ye will not come to me that ye might have life. So Jesus says to that crowd, you will not come. And here, you believe not. The problem's not that they've not seen. They have seen me. The problem's not that there's not been signs. There has been signs. Think about today. The problem is not that people are unaware of a judgment. They're aware of a judgment. It's not that they're unaware of sin. People are aware of sin today. It's not that they're unaware of the Lord Jesus Christ that gave His life for sin either. They're aware of that also. And yet they believe not. I'm going to tell you, you look naturally and you think naturally and you're going to come to a, a depressing conclusion that there's no hope that there's no hope. There's no hope. They're not going to believe it. And I'm going to tell you, if I had to think that the only hope people have is whether they decided they wanted it and made a decision or not, I wouldn't have a lick of hope for anybody. Would you? If that's all that there was, people's already swore it off. And so here they are. You've seen me and believe not. You've made a willful decision, a willful disbelief of me. Now I'll raise my hand with that crowd. I did that as well. I chose, you want to talk about free will, I chose by my own free will to disbelieve and reject and go away from God. That was my choice. I made it. Now the thing about it is, is that's the only choice man will ever make of his own free will. Because man is fallen. Man is corrupt. Man is sinful by nature and by birth. And man is inclined to go away from God. But there is hope. 
Listen to the next verse. And I would this. We've just got a few minutes left. Pay attention to these words and let these words sink in. Everybody here, pay attention. Let these words sink in. This is John chapter 6, verse 37. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. That's not might. It's not maybe, but they shall. Without fail, they will come. Who's going to believe? By the Scripture, the people believe not, but all that the Father giveth me, they shall come. Now that's, that's a big saying, ain't it? That's, that's a big saying. But listen to this Scripture in John 17. Now here's the Lord, the high priestly prayer. As thou hast given Him power over all flesh, that He, now He's speaking of Himself, the God the Father has given Jesus power over all flesh, that He should give eternal life to... Now this is what a pile of people is going to say, to as many people as will choose Him. To as many people as will believe in Him. Well, let's tie it all together now. Let's get it all together and all right. Jesus in John 17 verse 2, You've given me power over all flesh that He should give eternal life to as many as Thou hast given Him. What's Jesus come to do? To give eternal life to the ones that the Father has given Him to give eternal life to. He's not come to do His own will. Remember, they're one. God the Father, from before the foundation, elected His church. Jesus Christ, in time, came to the earth to deliver them that the Father has given Him. So man, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, he's dead in sins. Well, in verse number 36... That's what you see. A people that have seen the Lord Jesus and believe not. But in verse 37 you see the working of God that overruled man. I said I wouldn't believe it. God overruled me. And they shall. Listen, people don't need encouragement to come to the call of God Almighty. Those that the Father has given the Lord Jesus, they shall come. That is the Word of God. They won't push it away. Now do you know who's going to push it away? And you know who's not going to believe? Those that are not given to the Lord Jesus. They're going to make that choice every time. Are they not? You ain't going to talk them into believing. You ain't going to shame them into believing. It ain't going to work. It's not going to work. But all that the Father giveth shall. There is nothing that is going to prevent this salvation from happening. The devil will not prevent the salvation of the church. 
The Jewish religion will not prevent the salvation of the church. The American government will not prevent the salvation of the church. Well, I'm telling you, preacher, there's a bunch of deceivers in our world today and I, they ain't one of them going to stop the Lord from saving His church. They shall come. I don't care what the world looks like. He's going to save them and the gates of hell will not prevail against them. This is God's work. It's God's work. And God's work alone. They shall come. Thank God we're not dependent on man. I'm not waiting on my family to decide. Ain't that wonderful? No, it's God changing the mind of man. The call of God changes man's mind. Remember in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 5, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. He come to dead, wicked sinners and He quickened. He made them alive. He resurrected them and brought them to life in the Lord Jesus. And do you know what every single one that the Lord's brought to life has done? They've come to Him in repentance and been saved without fail. They've come. Well, I don't know about that. Well, do you reckon that legion who the devils were cast out of, is he going to continue to live in the tombs? Is Lazarus, who's raised from the dead, is he going to stay in the grave? I think I'll just stay in here. I kind of like it. Are the sick, the lame that's been made to walk, are they going to continue to lay on their beds? Is the blind going to walk around with their eyes closed and feel around? The answer is no. Well, is the sinner that's been quickened going to stay in their sin? Absolutely not. Lazarus was comfortable in his grave until he was resurrected. He's different. I need to get out of here. You know, that's what the sinner does. The sinner who's content to live just like he is. I'm just as good as anybody else. I'm fine the way I am. I don't need anything and I don't need to be saved. But you know when God quickens them, they don't want to stay there any longer. But they come to the Lord Jesus Christ. They shall come. I, I don't know how you're going to get around that. They shall come. No matter what I do or what you do or what anybody else does, they shall come. Period. Well, that's what the Lord said anyway. Maybe you know better than the Lord. But they shall come. And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. So the Father that gives them, they shall come. And when they come, the Lord is not going to cast them out. No, He's going to deliver every single one that comes to Him. Now listen, we're accused of a lot of different things and that's just fine. You can accuse, you can despise, but I believe if you want to study the Scriptures, I believe this is exactly what the Bible is saying. I believe this is what the Lord is saying. Am I saying that the lost world 
has no gospel for them. Absolutely not. The call of the Lord Jesus Christ is come to me. Come and be saved. Come and drink of the waters of life freely. Come and have your sins washed away. That's the call of the Lord Jesus. But the world's not coming, are they? They are not coming. You know who comes? Them that are given of the Father, period. So that the church says they've come because of God. There's no glory, there's no glory in any place for man. Is God unjust? Absolutely not. They've willfully chose what they're doing today. Man has willfully chose to do his own thing today. Jesus warned them, don't labor for that which perisheth. Seek after that which is eternal. You know what they're doing? They're seeking after that which is temporal. That which perisheth. Their own willful choice. They're making the same choice that I made and the same choice that you made when you were dead in sins. They're doing the same thing that we were doing. What's the difference between us and them? It's that God has quickened us by His grace. That's the difference. It's God that has saved us, not man. God help, not man. I will in no wise cast out, for I came down from heaven not to do my own will. I didn't come to do my own thing. What's the Lord doing? He is accomplishing the determination, the choice, the sovereign decision of the Father. This is the Father's plan. And the Lord Jesus is carrying out the Father's plan. So listen now. In Psalm verse 40, Then said I, lo, I come. In the volume of the book it is written of me, I delight to do thy will, O God, yea, thy law is within my heart. What was he accomplishing? He come to do the will of God. God the Father, who sent the Son and the Holy Spirit unto us, He's the orchestrator of this salvation. And to God the Father, all the glory goes. When you pray, you pray our Father. He's the one you pray to. Now we access the Father through the Son and by the Spirit, but it is the Father that we pray to. He's the orchestrator of this salvation from eternity past before the foundation of the world. In Isaiah 53, it pleased the Lord to bruise Him. God the Father was pleased with the bruising of the Son of God. Now how could the Father be pleased with that? Because it was the Father's will to deliver His church from their sins. And the the Son of God being bruised was working the deliverance for the church. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. So I came not 
I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of Him which sent me. So all, listen to this now. In John chapter 10, verse 28, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. So here is the eternal nature of the salvation given by God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And in Romans 8, If the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. And everyone which believeth, in John chapter 3 verse 36, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. So the Lord Jesus Christ, He is the means of salvation for the church. He is the way that God the Father is going to propitiate of His church and deliver them from the wrath of God. The Lord Jesus is the means for that to happen. And we are saved because of the Lord Jesus. Without His sacrifice, there's no place for our sins to go. They remain on us and we're guilty. But thank God the Father for His plan from before the foundation of the world. Do go home with this verse 37. All that the Father giveth me shall come. Think on that. Think on those words. And I believe it might change our mind about some things. The 